I finally watched Star Wars. So, hey, um, this is what this podcast is going to be about, y'all. Um, I finally watched Star Wars the other day. I watched all nine of those Skywalker movies in the span of about a week. So we just kind of talked about them. Danny and I brought on our friend Russell. You've heard his dulcet tones before on the pod. Uh, depending on how Danny edits this, you might also get Katie, uh, the Harry Potter fan, not a Harry Potter fan, the Harry Potter fan. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see how this goes. Uh, but uh, using Jedi mind tricks, I shall remind you, you will subscribe to Creating Magic Podcast. If you have Apple Podcasts, you will leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. You will share this episode, as well as all episodes of Creating Magic Podcasts, with your friends and your network. You will enjoy this episode. Our dear friend, Muggle and Khakis, Stephen. These are not the podcasters you are looking for. <laughs> Has finally watched all of the Star Wars movies. And by all, I mean the nine. None of the side ones yet. And we are going to hear his reactions and discuss some of it. And we are also joined by our good friend, Russell. Hello. Now, Russell, I have one question for, I have many questions for you, but one that is germane to this conversation, which is if you could be from any of the planets that I saw in these nine Star Wars movies, which planet would it be and why? Oh, uh, it would be Kashyyyk. Uh, and it's because I enjoy the woods. Uh, and the Kashyyyk is, uh, is a temperate climate that is massive, massive trees everywhere. Uh, and that is just like my happy place is wandering the woods. Is that the one with the Ewoks? The Kashyyyk is the home planet of the Wookiees. Uh, did I see that in the movies? It gets referenced in one of the prequel movies, but you don't hear about it much in the okay. in the series or in, in the series okay, that you like have consumed. The other so far. planets that I've where there's the whole like trade federation argument, and they're held hostage for a while. And then there's, is that the same one as the, no, that's not the same one as the Ewoks. No, it's not the same as the Ewoks. But it's the same one as the Jar Jar Bings people. That's right. Okay. Yeah. This is going to go really well. Look, so here's the thing I will say is I consumed all nine of these in the span of about a week. Um, And I was watching a lot of them either in between meetings. Sorry to my former team at work. Um, or like at night when I was pretty sleepy. So all of the movies, or not all, the 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 independent, like the three sets of trilogies all kind of run together within themselves in my mind. Um, so like I have some strong thoughts about each of them, but I don't necessarily, I don't think I can like make distinctions between, oh yeah, this one was revenge of the whatever versus the new hope for, like that's going to be a struggle for me. No, that's fair. So, all right, Danny, hit me with something. I'm going to start. We did pull some people for some questions. 
So our first question is from Mella.the.pufflenan, and she would like to know, why did it take so damn long to do this? I don't know if I have like a quote-unquote like good answer to that. What I will say is I very much, like sci-fi, like, like this level of imagination and creativity is not really something that's in my wheelhouse. Like I grew up reading a ton of biographies and and memoirs which is really just another word for biography uh, and a lot of non-fiction stuff um what fiction i did read as a kid was largely like what i'll call like like rockwell-esque books right like chip hilton series which is about like a bunch of like all-american kids playing sports like the hardy boys like that sort of stuff and it's like star wars doesn't have that said for, for me sci-fi was always like the entry point for sci-fi was books um, so like I got really into Ender's Game because I read the Ender's Game book in like eighth grade or whatever, and then I read Speaker for the Dead and a couple of the others, and they all tailed off after that. But that's a whole other conversation. Same with Hunger Games, right? Like there's a there's like a book that underpins the the movie, um, and so for Star Wars there isn't that at least not that I'm aware of. Um, so like I never really like it never seemed like my thing. Um, it just, I don't know, like a bunch of people in space. I just, it didn't really seem like my thing. Um, I would still argue it's probably not my thing. That's um, acceptable. But now that I'm, yeah, like now that I'm like an adult, I can like actually speak critically about the movies, but with like like positive critique, not just like, okay, this is a thing about space people. Um, but yeah, it was never, it just never was in my wheelhouse growing up. And honestly, you get that a lot. Like I, I think our grown up, growing up stories aren't terribly different. The only difference is that I, I stumbled across a series of star Wars books in the library when I was 13. And that caused me to de- dive way deeper into this franchise. than I would have had I just been presented with the movies. Yeah. See the thing that I love now is like, I still, I look, I, I'm going to retract my earlier statement that I'm now an adult. Now that I'm like a <laughs> half formed adult, like a fledgling adult, one of the things I really appreciate this transcend Star Wars is like the movie production, like the business side of it all. Like I'm fascinated by like, like the pre-production and the studio and like the preservation of props and, and continuity and all that stuff that, that Star Wars hits my erogenous zone there 10 times over. Um, but like the Jabba the Hutt thing and those random like fish looking aliens, I like take it or leave it. Yeah, we're definitely going to have some pretty interesting conversations in this part when it comes to the prequel things. I think it's going to open your eyes up a bunch when we get to that particular part of this conversation. Yeah, I pulled up some of the initial text messages I got from you while watching the series. So we might look those in a little bit. Yeah, so let's start with it then. Like four is the first one. That's A New Hope, yes? Yes? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Look, I, this movie was not very good. If I didn't know there was like another eight movies after this to watch, I would not, that would have been it for me. Um, The acting is all, it felt like they all knew they were being filmed. So they like over like dramatized every single line. Like everything was like, oh, hello, you are Princess Leia. And oh my God, I can't go do that. Is he really my father? It just it, everything felt way too over the top, and like I was not here for it. 
So, yes, you have to understand that uh, at the time, this this was let's do the space western thing, and that was the excitement. It was the, it was visually pretty, and, and it was never hailed for its acting prowess. But at, like when it was released, there had been nothing. This was that generation's Avatar. Okay. Uh, in, in that it had, you know, nothing to that scale had ever been done before. I will say, not to bleed into the rest of the movies, but like, if you're using the first movie, which is fair, kind of like a pilot, right, as like the calibration point, most of the acting got a lot better with the progression of films. Like, Harrison sure. Ford in A New Hope is just like over the top, like like John Wayne, right? Um, to use the space western, right? to use the western part of that, like he's just kind of like the swaggering, gives no fucks, like here for the pretty young girl who is debatably eighteen. I read something about that where they had a whole thing, and that was questionable. Um, but anywho, he like very much is one note, and like as the movies progress, he definitely gets more nuance. Not just in like the, I understand there's the whole Han shot first personality nuance, but just in terms of his acting capability. Like whereas, 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 whereas. This is my hot take for A New Hope. Mark Hamill is just not a good actor. There is just... He's awful. He's bad. He has the swoopy hair, and he kind of has the heartthrob thing going for him as, like, a younger man. And that's really about it. Well, and that was why Mark Hamill was chosen. Uh, At the time, he was this up-and-coming TV star. He had not actually done movies yet. Uh, and his, all of his roles were very much that he was the, the pretty boy on set. He was the love interest. He was the, like, that was exactly what he was chosen for. And he actually turned down in order to do this movie, his first like major lead role in a TV series that was going to go for a bunch of years. Um, I think it was called a night in sixth. Um, and at the time, like, like he, like there were news articles about how this was like his jumpstart into being a major actor. Uh, was taking this TV role and then he got offered by Lucas to play this character and turned down that TV series uh, after shooting the pilot, which I don't think ever even aired. Uh, and, and then, you know, went on to do this. And I, where I can get why in the beginning here, he definitely seems to struggle. This is obviously uh, not a movie type that he had ever done. He went from being kind of the pretty boy person to being in this very action focused uh, kind of movie. And it's very different. Um, I will also say, given the theme of this podcast, uh, our main characters from this, the movie series and book series that we love so much also weren't super great in their first roles. Uh, so you kind of get that when, when you're dealing with something new anyway, but, uh, but Mark Hamill is definitely a much better actor now. Oh yeah, uh, yeah and yeah. is remains one of my favorite voice actors, which I get is definitely not the same thing as acting, but one of my favorite voice actors ever. What else does he do? And I, I just say that ignorantly, not as like a shot at him. In almost every single version of any Batman comic or cartoon, he is the Joker. Oh. Yeah, so like Batman the animated series that we grew up with, he was the Joker in all of that, and then a bunch of other stuff he he did the Joker in, yeah. and, and, and he's a, a ton lot of, of other people things, but... favorite. Like I get, I hear a lot of people that he is their favorite Joker. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, let me pause quickly because we never told everyone how we had you watch these, and that's always a big debate: is how you watch the movies. Oh, what order? Uh, yeah, there's this whole machete order thing, which I didn't fully understand. There's the the, the timeline of the series of the canon mm-hmm. order. That's a, a val- From what I understand, that's a valid way to watch them. But the way that I watch them is what I have to imagine is the fandom 
preferred, which is four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. It's important that you be disappointed in the same order that the rest of us were. Got it. Um, oh boy, we're gonna have some fun conversation around that then. <laughs> um, okay, what else? Why don't you give your initial thoughts on the overall whole of the book of the movies? Of all nine of them? Just like an overall general did you enjoy them? Did you hate them? Yeah, I did enjoy them. Um and I like I watch them again. Yes, primarily because I'd love to be able to differentiate the movies from each other. Um, because again, in my head, they all kind of, you know, the sets of three all kind of run, run between each other, not to get too deep into the connections to Harry Potter yet. At least the ones that I saw, like one of the things that I kept coming back to in my mind was, I know we talked about this on the episode with y'all, I believe the other week, um, like Star Wars just holds up a lot better for me. I think because of like, one of the things that I really don't love about Harry Potter is like, Movies one and two are just from like a technology capability, like you know, special effects standpoint, like are not great. Like they don't hold up over time. Um, and I get that's because the tech wasn't there at the time. But I think the issue for me there is because it's the the release of Harry Potter's within like a ten year span, more or less. Like all the characters more or less look the same. Like it's not like there's. Yes, time has passed, but it's not like time has drastically passed between the first and the eighth visually so like in my mind they should be a lot closer visually to each other than they are star wars in my mind holds up a lot better because there's like that 30 year gap between the movies like yeah i expect a movie from the 70s and from the 80s to look like these do um and like i'm okay with that which is like a weird contradiction in my head i feel i apologize to all listeners who are pulling their hair out but well but also when did you what which versions of these did you watch? Where did you watch these? Like what what service did you use to consume? Um I used a Disney Plus account and I won't say whose because okay. te- I technically was pirating it, so uh, I don't need Disney Plus coming after that account owner for sharing their login information. That's that's fine. Um It was it was Danny. Ah, gotcha. Uh so what you saw uh, something that actually helped you feel more comfortable with the originals they were remastered weren't they They were pretty significantly remastered like not only were they visually remastered but cg was actually added uh in in several scenes going throughout so it that i think that probably helped a lot with you feeling like they they flowed a little better but sure yes but the thing is like even if they didn't like even if like all of like the fight scenes were just like glorified versions of like that power rangers zord fight scenes right Hey. I would be I would be fine with that because like like seventy seven eighty eighty three or whatever like okay I get it um, so for me that was like one thing I kept coming back to was like trying to compare how the movies hold up to Harry Potter movies um, and Star Wars to me just far and away exceeded the Potter films in that respect okay so yeah I enjoyed them I'd watch them again I probably will watch them again um, I mean like I I wasn't like I. I won't necessarily watch them again paying like like intricate detail to the different worlds and the people of the world and the language that they speak and all that stuff. Um, but I will watch them again as like a connoisseur of pop culture. And again, someone who really appreciates like a lot of the production side of, of movies. Also, anytime I can see 
Leia in that bikini thing that she wears in the job of the hut place. Uh, sign me up for that. Yeah. No. What? She's of legal age at that time. Let's... I'm not I'm not hitting on her like 33-year-old Harrison Ford was during the first movie or whatever the hell. Well, I'm just commenting that she was an objectively attractive woman in fairly not fairly extremely revealing clothing in a movie. There so, there is a reason that even now so many years later you can't go to just about any Comic-Con without seeing someone dress up as Slave Leia. Like that's that's what she's it, called is Slave Leia. Oh yikes. I don't like yes, that. that is she is <laughs> tied by a metal collar to Jabba the Hutt. She is this the the actual term for her in that outfit is Slave Leia. Oh, I, I was gonna be generous and say something like hostage or something. But no, I, they okay. the actual name for that character in the scene in the script is Slave Leia. Come to think of it, when I was at Emerald City Comic Con in 2019, I was there by myself. I was at the Comic Con by myself, but I was in Seattle with a, a non sci-fi like a not like a work friend of mine um i was pretty high when i went over to the convention one day and i was mesmerized by this woman who was in like to me it looked more like a hercules type like leather thing that was going on mm-hmm. and now in retrospect it very very may well have been slave leia which is just a really- could have also been uh xeno warrior princess that's a thing I've heard of because of the office because of Dwight Schrute, but I don't really know what that means. Yeah. It's a little more in line with the, the kind of Roman esque leather, but still having some of the metal pieces that are not dissimilar from slave Leia's outfit. See Russell, this is what I love about you. We can have in-depth, decently intellectual conversations about, uh, uh, leather lingerie. It's true. Yeah. I have, we're going to stop that conversation. Um, All right. Next topic, Danny. We know you are a big fan of Harrison Ford. Here's the text message I received. I'm here for the Harris for- Harrison Ford Leia flirtation, the Harrison Ford C-3PO dialogue, and the Harrison Ford Chewbacca dynamic. Basically, I'm here for Harrison Ford. Yeah. Well, I loved it because I love that C-3PO is like this just, you know, very straight character, right? Like just very literal, very, you know, whatever, right? Very monochromatic right um and like he and harrison like they're the perfect foils for each other but perhaps so so much so it's like the opposite ends of of the spectrum of like like very like of rigidity versus like looseness and it just works i love that i love that i mean everyone can can understand chewbacca but like he's like the only one who really has like full-on conversation with chewbacca and that just made me laugh um and the Leia stuff, yeah, it's good. It's great. I also, side note, don't understand why. I understand they didn't know they were siblings at the time, but the whole kissing of Luke thing just felt. Like, I don't. I, I, I get they were trying to set up the whole conflict with with Harrison Ford, Han Solo, in the next one or whatever, but like it, that just felt weird. Um, oh yeah, that, that everyone feels that way. Nobody okay. sees that kiss anymore and is like, oh yeah, that was a good decision. Like, yeah, yeah. everyone's creeped out by that. Uh, as in addition to your love of Harrison Ford, I would like you to go and find a couple of the interviews that he did for this last set of movies, um, because Harrison Ford and I cannot stress this enough does not give a fuck about Star Wars fans. And every interview he does, where someone's like, so. Which one of these things did you like about the Star Wars universe? And he just goes, I don't care. And it 
it is it is in one way kind of painful for a fan because you've got Mark Hamill on the other side who does not go a full 24 hour period without making some kind of Star Wars joke on Twitter or, you know, like really engaging the fans. But it is deeply entertaining for people to sit down and be like, yeah, we have this interview with Harrison Ford. This is going to be awesome. And he's just like, yeah, I, I, I caught a paycheck and I played a character like I'm not not here to answer your nerd questions and it is really funny every time i guess two questions both around the same premise what is like the conventional fan wisdom around a you already kind of mentioned it but a like the like the lead characters right carrie fisher mark hamill harrison ford um i guess james earl jones even though he's a voice actor not a body actor right and then what is like for the first three for for four five and six What's like the conventional wisdom around like best, best to worst? Mark Hamill definitely gets the the best. Um, and the second to that is Carrie Fisher, mostly because uh, she was always very nice to fans. Uh, and when she was interviewed, she uh, had no trouble saying that the reason she wasn't in movies anymore was because she was too old and Hollywood needed to get over that nonsense. Um, and usually in those conversations, kind of casually avoided some of her substance issues. Um which uh, which unfortunately led to her untimely demise. But uh, she she was always super nice and always you know uh, very direct with people, and so she gets a lot of love for that. Um, Harrison Ford is usually in third place. Nobody ever cares about James Earl Jones. Uh, like they care about Vader, but nobody cares about James Earl Jones having played the voice of Darth Vader, um, which is unfortunate. And then uh, un- also kind of sad is that the actor who played Chewbacca who recently he passed just died. Yeah. yeah he, he just passed away um, like like mid 2019 or something it was pretty- hardcore fans know who he is um but it, when he showed up at cons and just sort of walked around very few people would stop him and be like oh you're this guy mm-hmm. um which was kind of a bummer uh, and then the same goes for the the guy who played R2 and uh, and three PO, like you, you, it really focused around the the top three for for most people, and then the hardcore fans would would you know obviously adore anyone who was involved. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So yeah, so so these three are like the whole. It's the Vader arc, right? right. This is I'm your father. Join me. No, we have to fight. Palpatine's involved this whole thing. Yeah. And so from, from a cinematic perspective, it's also important to keep in mind that, that uh, it was almost never a trilogy uh, because at the end of a new hope, uh, Lucas didn't have enough money to make empire. Um, And the only reason that he was able to make empire was because he uh, went to all of these different companies and said, you can make Star Wars toys and figures and whatnot, but I maintain the rights and I get a cut of it, which at the time was unheard of. Um, and also at the time, uh, nobody cared because nobody thought this movie was going to do anything. So we went to like Hasbro and all of these companies and said, you can make these toys, but I get a cut of the revenue. And Hasbro was like, okay, you're footing the bill for the first batch. Uh, sure, whatever. Uh, and then quickly saw the air of their way as the Star Wars became incredibly power uh, popular within A New Hope. There were it was one of the first movies where people went and watched it every single day that it was in uh, in its theaters, um, and so it, it just you know it became this massive cultural thing, and that was how he was eventually able to afford Empire. But 
like he had the idea for it, but if uh, if a new hope had not done as explosively well as it had done, um, he would not have been able to afford the second movie. Okay, interesting. That uh, that little bit of information is also what answers your other question about the next uh, trilogy arc as to why you remember uh, your Burger King days as a child. Um, oh my why, goodness! Yeah. Why Darth Maul was all over the place? Yeah, I. Look, again, I didn't, my parents, as far as I know, I'm sure they probably saw Star Wars back when it came out or whatever, but like they're not into it in any way, shape, or form. So it's not like I grew up with any sort of Star Wars in the house, but I I, I had a Darth Maul toy, and I'm pretty sure I had the other ones too, as far as I know. But yeah, that was huge. I was expecting to jump ahead to the, the whole next set of ones or whatever. I was expecting Darth Maul to be like, when they introduced him in, what's it, the second, in, in movie number two, right? Uh, no, Maul, Maul was introduced in the first one. Okay. Phantom well, Menace. All right. In Phantom Menace. Okay. Um, I was expecting him to be like, oh, yeah, this is like the new Vader guy. Like, he's right. going to be all over the place. And he has like two lines and then he dies. Um, that was astounding. Yeah. So the, the big push there was, you know, Lucas said, we're doing three more Star Wars movies. And suddenly all of the toy companies everywhere were like, tell us everything. We will make you every single toy you could possibly imagine. And he went, there's this really cool guy here that we're going to call Darth Maul. And they just like, they just went nuts because at the time there's two really important cultural things that were happening at the same time. One was uh, knowing that the star Wars thing was going to be a big deal. Every toy company wanted to be involved in some way. And two uh, culturally the United States, that was when we started really hard coding boy, girl, boy toys and girl toys. Uh, so what you remember is having the toy from Burger King or seeing the toys at, at McDonald's. What was oh, happening I, at I, the same I, time? I know what it would have been. It would have been like uh, no, too late. Uh, these were Beanie Babies or something. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love Beanie Babies. Yep. Grandma Jean Hatter was a big collector and of the Beanie Babies. So that was that was the thing at the time was you the the girl toy was the Beanie Babies and the boy toy was the the different Star Wars <laughs> figures. And, uh, and so the, the whole deal was, you know, the kids sitting at the table at, at McDonald's or Burger King, you had the, you had the, the, the kind of plain looking Jedi and then this really bad ass looking villain and for them to play with all Seth. Wow. Okay. Coding toys towards boys and girls cause 20 years of ridiculous problems. Oh, yeah, totally fucked up. We are, we are, or whatever. Burgers Which got perfectly highlighted in the third set of movies. Where okay. We're, well, the, no, we'll get to that. We, we haven't yeah. even got to the second set of movies. Um, what happens in, all right, what else am I missing here? So this is where the Trade Federation starts, uh, nonsense oh, starts. Oh, and all okay. the stuff with Natalie Portman. And All right, so look. I really don't understand much of the plot of what goes on in of the first one. The first one is yeah. I spent the entirety of that film looking at you and McGregor, being like, "Is that you and McGregor?" Cause I like I. I'm not sure why I thought he came. He came later, like his movie, his Star Wars. I had some awareness of that he was in Star Wars because of Graham Norton. And so I was like, oh, I thought he 
he was like older majority of that movie um but i like that i like all of the fighting with them and darth maul at the end that was a cool fight scene i was there for that um one thing that's never explained in these movies is how one creates a lightsaber uh that feels like a convenient plot hole because like at various points people just chuck lightsabers into the ocean or into the whatever um and then all of a sudden like they have a new one and it's like oh hey i have a new lightsaber for you young padawan it's like well where the fuck did like are these things easy to make like are, are is it like buying weed on the corner? Like, what is going on here? So, yeah, this is where we started to see a weird divergence between the stuff that we had learned in the books over the last 20 years and the stuff that Lucas was just kind of doing for fun in these movies. Uh, the The prequel movies accomplished, when when he Lucas got, did a bunch of interviews for why he made a bunch of the decisions that he made, and all of the answers just made the fans more mad. Uh, one of the answers was, you didn't use any of the ships from the last trilogy why did you make that decision? Uh, and his answer was, I thought it would be cool if we had new ones. Yeah, I read one thing where he said, like, someone had complained about this, about, like, lack of continuity. And he was like, I think I think it was with regards to Han Chop first and all that stuff and all the remasterings. And he was like, yeah, like, finished product. Like, you're not here for the right films. That doesn't feel... I mean, look, he's the... Cr- oh, boy. That's not the right thing to say. Oh, yeah, th- that just felt odd to me. Yeah, and so like, there's a lot of that that happens in the prequels where where people like fans reached out to him and were like, "Why did you make these decisions?" And the answers were just repeatedly disappointing. Uh, and the thing with the lightsabers is actually really Jedi actually goes on their own like weird like peyote mind quest to build their own lightsaber where they like venture out into the the wilderness and they get their own kyber crystal and they you know they go through all this like that's why every saber was supposed to be unique was because like the the jedi had built it themselves yeah and like that's one of the things i had like a base awareness of growing up was that i thought that like each character had like their own special colored lightsaber and that can probably play into the gender coding because like doesn't watch your face have daisy whatever have Daisy Ridley, is that her name? The one who plays Ray. She has like a purple lightsaber. Like that feels a little bit gendered to me. No, it's blue. Oh, it's blue? Okay. Maybe my TV. It's I gotta check the color calibration. Anywho, point is I thought that like each character I I distinctly recall, maybe it's from Spaceballs, I don't know. I recall like characters having their own distinct colors and like red. A bunch of them did, yeah. Like blue is like the default color for the good guys and red's the default color for the for the bad guys. And then you can kind of differentiate into like shades of greens and yellows. And then we have one purple lightsaber that went to the one black Jedi and nobody talks about that. We move on immediately. Um, so like the, there, there have definitely been colors uh, for, for variants, but not a lot. Usually it, it's pretty close to the blues and reds. Okay. Okay. So I, all right, here's what I have to feel is going to be like the hot take based on what I read from like old New York times articles and variety articles and the like I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the actor who played young Vader who played Anakin in the prequels. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't like, mind I, him either. Like I, I actually really, it's funny because like the last time we did not Harry Potter podcast, it was about hunger games and ballad of songbirds and stakes. And like, how like I didn't really need the backstory to President Snow because like he I just didn't need it. Um, I appreciated getting a backstory to Vader and like how he became the way he is and like all of that. Um, some of it felt a little bit hair point turned to me, but I, I, I was here for it. 
It wasn't bad. Uh, you know, the the storytelling was was a little rough. You ran into the same problem that you do with the Harry Potter series and that when you put a young kid in front of a camera for a really, really long time, it turns out the product isn't, you know, the same thing as when you point a can or camera at Ewan McGregor for the same amount of time. Uh, and unfortunately, that guy, what, he got such strong hate yeah. Uh, that he is like, he just can't stand anything uh, Star Wars. He's never on any kind of social media anymore. He barely leaves his house. Like the the internet collectively, like the Star Wars fans ruined that guy's life for being Anakin Skywalker. He's like the OG Joffrey Baratheon. Who, I forget the actor's name for that. But he, he had a similar experience going through Thrones. Like he perfected yeah. how, I mean, slightly different cause. I think the guy did Joffrey was so good at being maniacally evil that like, the fans took that to be his actual persona and they like, right. But anyway, yeah. Um, I, what are some of the other things that happened? See, again, three PO three PO was a rising star throughout these movies for me, because I just loved how he went from being just like very straight laced and a foil for Han, to just generally being like the sarcastic foil, the unintended sarcastic foil for the entire movie. Right. I was here for that. That was great. No, it's super great. And it's something that I actually appreciate a lot more having recently gone and binged all of Downton Abbey. Is uh, he in Downton Abbey? No, he's not in Downton Abbey, but it's that same level of uh, that, like that unintentional underhanded sarcasm, that very British dry humor yeah. uh, that is written into his character that I, it's just very, very good when you appreciate it at that level. Danny, what, what were your, thoughts on these three prequels slash what other hot takes that do I have within me that I don't yet know I have. Now for me, I saw the prequels when they came out. So it was a very exciting because I was always into, I was a space nerd. I still am. So anything to do with space, like I love them as a kid Looking back at them now, it's a little more of a struggle. But why? So, 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 so and I, I, I'm not in my head right now to, to say with any sort of conclusivity, you know, that I, that I like these or anything, but like, I really, like, I didn't mind that I was okay with it. Um, again. Uh, in the, uh, when there's a scene in one of the later uh, of the three movies where, uh, Ewan McGregor's character uh-huh. is going to check out the clones, and one of the big tall aliens comes out and says, "Oh, this order was placed yeah, the, by the, this the dead person. guy." So that character is a typo in the script. Uh, that character is not a character. That hum- that creature has never existed. It's a typo in the script. And when someone caught it and showed it to Lucas during editing, Lucas went, "Yeah, we'll just keep it in." Because that was supposed to be a tie-in to the the person who then became the emperor. Huh. It was supposed to be. I understood he was working for Dooku and all them. Yeah. So the one of the things that I did not understand um, was the presence of the bounty hunter Mandalorian guy at the clone base. Like, I get that they're saying, "Hey, he's bad. He's." He's clearly like the whole fight, and they chase him. And then he's later at the, the the big, what looks like a Roman forum pit with Dooku and that whole thing. But what what did any of that have to do? Like, why was he there? I didn't get that. 
Yeah, so Django Fett is the the bio original for the clones. All of the clones are based off of his genetic makeup, and and uh, the son that you see there is actually a clone. It's not actually uh, his biologically produced son, and that becomes Boba Fett, uh, who you saw in the last trilogy. Boba Fett. Which one? Boba Fett is the bounty hunter that takes uh, Han Solo to go get Cryo Frozen. Oh, uh, okay. Takes him okay. to to Jabba. Right. So the whole point is that the kid that you're seeing becomes Boba Fett from the prequel or from the trilogy that you just watched. That's a whole other thing I didn't get. Once Daddy Clone has his head chopped off in the Roman pits or whatever, when whoever it is grabs the lightsaber and chops off the Mandalorian's head. Yeah. His head is still in the 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 the, the helmet. You'd think so. But the kid just picks up the helmet and like looks yep. at it. That was weird. That That's, that was mm. right. If you think about it too long, it's pretty horrifying. Mm. It's almost as yeah. That was another thing. Okay, there was another quibble I had, which to me kind of sort of felt like the Voldemort army in Deathly Hallows in the movie, not in the book. In the movie, like when the Jedi all show up with Yoda on those cool helicopter things at the Roman pits. There was like a thousand Jedi. Yeah. Look, maybe this is just me, but like I, to me, it kind of felt before that, like the Jedi are like a dying breed and like their numbers are on the decline and all this. It didn't feel like this robust like army of of people, and all of a sudden there they are, millions of them swinging their swords and that that was that that didn't track for me. So the whole point of the prequel series is to take place when the Jedi Empire was at its peak and starting to fall. Like that's the, the 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 weird political thing that you see in the beginning is is why the Republic leans on the Jedi for negotiations and and all of that stuff is the Jedi Council like that was like at their peak they had a massive training facility full of younglings uh, that uh, that then don't make it real far um, there's uh, there's like the whole deal was that that was the that was the peak of the Jedi you know Empire. Uh, and then Order 66 happens and, and the last remaining Jedi scatter and Obi-Wan goes and hides with the sand people and, you know, all of that stuff that you see in the the first set of movies. That Like, the, the whole prequel is a setup for that, for why he was hiding in the first place and all of that. Yeah, that's another really bad Mark Hamill set of scenes when he's like, oh, Ben? No, that's just old Ben Kenobi. Like, Ben is not a Jedi. He's not... Obi-Wan. Like, no, okay, that was really bad. That one I really did not like. Uh, thank you. Thank you for reminding me of that. Danny, what 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 things for you, like what else stands out from these prequels here? Um I I, I don't know for all of the thousands of listeners. Purple out there. lightsaber. Wait, there's a purple lightsaber. Oh, I, when um what's his Samuel L. Jackson? Yep, Mace Windu. Yeah. Mace Windu oh, literally has it just because he wanted it. Yes, he they he everything about Samuel L. Jackson doing this movie, first of all, uh, like the whole cameo thing in the, the prequels just got really bad. They were just like, let's see how many popular faces at the time we can shove into these movies. They gave Samuel L. Jackson a lightsaber and he's like, no, nah, I don't like this color. Can I have a purple one? Uh, which then sets up, we now have one black Jedi and he's the only black Jedi with a purple lightsaber. Um, and then uh, all of his lines, he kept pushing back on. Uh, like it was like a big thing at the time. Uh, there's there's like a bunch of interviews where he was just like, yeah, I, I didn't like the lines. So they like they just kept rewriting him uh, until the very end when he dies. 
I read, well, they might have set the precedent for that. I read somewhere that the original Obi-Wan from the original three, I forget his name, um, but he apparently wasn't in love with the direction of his character, but George Lucas like, kind of talked him into it, or I don't really know, but I read somewhere that, especially around the fight scene, like when he, the fight scene with Vader, there we go. Um, there He, like, apparently, the actor had a lot of qualms with how his character direction was going. So I don't know, I don't know what that means about anything, but that's a thought I had. It also is really impressive how old and terrible he looks in that fight scene with Vader compared to like the fight scenes that you get much, much later where it's like you go back and you watch that scene and, and he, he barely swings the lightsaber. He, you know, spends a lot of time glancing around. It's, it's not great. Yeah. That, that, that's again, Potter parallel. That would have been uh dear blessed for Richard Harris had he made it into the later Potter movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah, so so the whole the whole Natalie Portman has has decoy things. I thought that was deeply clever and it's not an it's not an original thing. Uh it is it is unique to the Star Wars universe in that she's the only one who does it in the Star Wars universe, but like it is it is a thing from old uh Roman era. Yeah. Uh, which ties like ties back to the whole like the weird Roman uh, fight scenes and and all of that stuff in these movies. So I, I I agree it was clever. The only thing I didn't like is I think it might have been like too clever by half because like I I don't think they had to give a tell like they had kind of had to sh- you know give a tell away too strongly like like Barty Crouch Jr. with the tongue, but like I did, until they said at the very end oh this is a decoy. I literally had no clue, like not even the slightest inkling. Um, and I, maybe that's just me being stupid, which is fair. That's fine. That's an established kind of proof of this podcast. But uh, that I, it, it, to me, it felt too clever by half. Yeah, it's it's tough because it's one of those things where I don't remember whether I had pieced it together or not the first time I watched it. And net, once you have seen it, you don't get to have right. an opinion. Uh, so... Yeah, I do like... Kira Knightley was one of the decoys. Kira Knightley was one of the decoys? Yes, she was. I told you, there were there were cameos all over the place in, in well, the Well, that movies. wasn't like necessarily a cameo because she wasn't like known yet. She was like 12 when she did it. Yeah. Speaking of which, great tie-in to some other news I just want to mention, we don't have to talk about. Kira Knightley, Kira Knightley, a.k.a. Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean, Margot Robbie is the new lead. Holy shit. I am so excited for this. Pirates of the Caribbean is like that cousin of yours that like, like you don't really love, but like has always has interesting stories. So like you're always, always listening to them at Christmas dinner. Like I never loved Pirates of the Caribbean, but every time the movie's on, I'm watching it every single time. Uh, and Margot oh, yeah. Robbie is like the, the uh, insert two things that pair so beautifully together here for me. I love that woman with all of my heart. Um, I watched Birds of Prey about 13 times. Um, so I am very excited for the new Pirates whenever that may appear. Uh, She's on. exactly weird enough for that role. It's going to be oh, good. It's going to be great. It's going to be so great. Um, okay, back to the franchise at hand. Um, Danny, what else? I got one real quick where you're thinking about it. Go for it. Did the did the two thousands era uh, CG bother you at all? 
Because this was this was at a time where Lucas wanted everything to be green screen CG. Like the whole movie was basically stand in front of this screen and and swing your plastic sword around. And that bothered a lot of fans at the time because the first set of movies, by necessity, not by design, uh, were a lot of practical effects. And this movie just these these set of movies just had none of them in it. So did, did having watched them kind of in that order, did the the shift to that two thousands era? Uh, bother you at all not on watch but i will say thinking about it now there there, there definitely were like like i'm thinking a lot about i mean obviously by necessity because you we don't have hovercrafts in the real world or at least not in 2000 whatever um like the whole racing thing with young anakin all that like a lot those characters had to be all cgi right like those oh yeah yeah okay so that irks me now thinking about it but not on original watch as an aside uh the timing for this is really spectacular this week on the nintendo switch and the playstation 4 uh lucas arts re-released the star wars pod racer game that came out with these movies uh and it's like 10 bucks and brought me so much childhood joy because i played the shit out of those games on the dreamcast when it came out as well as like a lot of money in arcades because you could sit in anakin's pod in the arcade version and you had the throttle and stick and you could uh could really jam out in front of this giant screen to to race in really not great graphics uh but yeah so they like it was a lot of fun and that game is back now and it makes me happy well so i will say on the note of childhood nostalgia and video games Probably the only reason I've ever considered watching the movies in the first place was because of a Star Wars video game. Because back on PS2, it must have been. Yeah. It must, yeah, it had to be PS2. Um, the original Star Wars Battlefront game. Yep. I used to play that with friends all the time because I love the multi- amazing. I, I bought Battlefront, the, the latest one, on my Xbox One X the other day because I was like, fuck it, this is great. Um, I played the multiplayer on that all the time. Mm-hmm. So that also gave me a decent amount of peakable interest in the series to be like, okay, I'll go back and watch this thing. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I used to play. I loved Hoth. Hoth was always so much Hoth fun. Hoth was the best. Yep. Because you could you could hide in all of the trenches, mm-hmm. or you could go in one of the fighter jets and try to take down the big those things, the ATATs or whatever. Yep. Um, or you could just completely hole up in the base and just wait for people coming up the hill and just bam, bam, bam. It was always, always good. Yeah. Um, so that leaves us with uh, anything else on the prequels before we move on to the sequels. No, I think we're good to move on. All right. Danny says we're good to move on. Um, all right. Let's talk about these sequels. What do we want to talk about? We have, having just asked the question about uh, special effects, we actually, J.J. Abrams made a specific effort to go to practical effects in any possible point that was, that was, uh, you know, even remotely possible, including uh, the, uh, in the very first set of scenes in the first movie, uh, there's a set of um, Ray's, Ray's eating, like she just, she just went and like poured a bunch of like, like a ramen packet almost into a bowl and added some yeah, water and it yeah, turned yeah. into a thing of bread. That's an actual practical effect. And they show you in the behind the scenes, how they did it with a balloon in the, in the bowl. And it's so cool. Uh, but like the amount of effort that they went through to make sure that there were a ton of practical effects in that movie was something I deeply appreciated. 
Yeah, I definitely noticed that. Like, I'm thinking a lot more about like on the the Jedi Island thing. Yeah, a lot of the rock formations, all that. Uh-huh. Love that that was practical effect because that's something that's easy to CGI. But I don't know. I loved like like when she shoots her her blaster through like the hole in the yeah. Like I loved all that. I also I've been to those parts of Ireland before and seen where they filmed all that. Didn't really care about it at the time. Thought it was just really cool history. Um, so that was fun too. And the porgs uh, were those all little, th- those little things. The little things. Those are all actually there. Uh, they are puffins that they could not move. They are legally not allowed to move them from the island. So yeah. anytime, anytime, most in most scenes where you just see a whole bunch of them wandering around and doing stuff, they are actually puffins that were on that island that they, the camera crews were not allowed to disturb. So they just re uh, skinned them as porks. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I definitely think, cause it was Abrams, Johnson, Abrams. I'm definitely a JJ Abrams fan. Um, oh, okay. Oh, why? Oh, why? Why? Ooh, why? Ooh. I think Abrams did a really good job with the first movie in, in telling a love story to fans that, that he had an idea and he had uh, a thing and, and he had a story that he was going to tell uh, and then got so mad at what Johnson did at the second movie that he just said, fuck it, let's burn the whole thing down in the third movie. Uh, and his, his, like, the third movie doesn't even match continuity-wise with the first movie. Like in his, like it, it makes sense for him to disagree with some of the things that Johnson did. Um, that, like, you know, first of all, like Disney should have hashed that shit out before they let them make decisions. That, yeah. like, there should have been a, there should have been an overarching story be- between these three movies before that. Uh, but he, he separates himself from his own film uh, in in the third movie by by doing several character things that that are departures from the the stuff that he sets up in the first movie and that that irritated me okay so i don't dis- i don't dis- I, bleh, I do not disagree um but now i'm really curious because again i don't have enough specificity with these to know what are some examples of that so the the biggest example is uh uh finn's character uh, Finn's character in the first movie gets set uh, set up as this uh, this scattered, almost childlike uh, character who's broken out of this really horrible thing and is is developing his own sense and sensibilities. We find out that he's vaguely force sensitive. Um, you know, he has the the potential to end like maybe even be uh, a Jedi at some point. Um, but one of his entire character traits in the first movie is this uh, this sense of loyalty to the the people who have cared for him. Uh, and and having his own sense of morals based on that, you you get a lot of that in the first movie, and they build on that a little bit in the second movie, um, in a way that Abrams didn't like, uh, and so to to kind of fix that in the uh, in the third movie, he becomes this kind of empty support character. He no longer has his own set destiny. The person that he was falling for in the second movie now doesn't exist, which is a whole separate. Yeah, the 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 the, the Asian pilot Rose. fighter, Rose Tico, uh, got so much angry, hateful shit on the internet just for existing. Like she just got so much negativity that Abrams basically removed her from the third movie. To so like, Danny, in past episodes, when people have come on here and talked about the differences between the Star Wars fandom and the Harry Potter fandom, and I haven't really understood the comparison, this would be what we're talking about. Yes. Yeah, she left social media because of all the hate she got. 
fuck? And I believe Daisy Ridley also left social yeah, media. Daisy Ridley's also gone. Why? Um, I thought she was I thought she was incredible. She was fantastic, but she was the, like there was an enormous amount of the Star Wars fandom who did not think that a woman Jedi was believable. Like the the arguments for it are just awful. Like it's it is the the worst nonsense that you could possibly imagine. Like that she was too thin, she was too frail. Like she she didn't have what it took to be a Jedi. Like it was it was bad shit from the first movie on. Did they not see yeah, Mark? I, look, I know Mark. Like there was a lot of. I know Mark Hamill is chunky McChunkface in in this in this sequel trilogy, but like. Did they not see him back in the original three? He was stick thin. Let's also, since we're we're finally at this point, uh, I get to say I get to to do this. This is actually one of my favorite rants of all time. So you kind of have to sit through the next five minutes. It's amazing. Mark Hamill is the worst Jedi in all of the movies. Like a Luke Skywalker, not Mark Hamill. Luke Skywalker is the worst Jedi in all of these movies. He is functionally weaker than Darth Vader, uh, and uh, is and when we get to the second, the prequel movies, we find a whole bunch of Jedis who can do all kinds of crazy shit. Force lightning and, and like throw in their lightsaber in different patterns and like all kinds of stuff that, that we never see Luke do uh, because he, he just functionally wasn't capable of it. Some of that is just he just wasn't, he wasn't taught. He didn't have someone to, to guide him and show him all of these things. We get to these third set of movies. We find Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren interrogates someone while holding a energy blast from a spaceship in midair without pause the entire time he's interrogating poe dameron on that planet he is holding a massive bolt of energy with his mind and he just holds it there while doing other force shit um he then takes uh we we see chewbacca's crazy ass crossbow gun we see that crossbow gun send uh stormtroopers flying their their armor explodes shrapnel everywhere like there's like a whole joke about it where he's you know uh his he, everyone's like, man, I really like this gun. Can I have one of these? Like, it's it's a whole, you know, it's the the Kashyyyk, uh, you know, storm bolter thing. It's really cool. Uh, Kylo Ren takes a hit from one of those things, and not only keeps on fighting, but almost wins uh, in in several different points. Like Kylo Ren was an aggressively good Jedi, like as far as his ability to to like hold himself together and and literally use the Force to hold his insides in his insides while continuing to fight. Um, and then Ray ends up being stronger than him as well. So throughout the arc of the heroes through like the, the heroes and villains through the story, Luke Skywalker is actually the weakest and least trained Jedi in the entire series. I'm okay with that though. Right. It's not until the very, very end where when he, he shows spent, he can, yeah. right. He spent 30 years on this Island with the, the sacred Jedi texts and learning. Can he do this one really cool thing? And it uses so much of his energy that he dies. Which like, Hey, that scene totally mind fucked me. Like, I don't. It, my, so here's you where well, here, catch it when you watched it. So here's where, no, cause here's what threw me off was he. Oh, wow. The way I interpreted the scene was that not just Leia saw him and spoke to him, but other people saw him when he was in the Hoth base. Right. They so did that, a good job obfuscating it. Yeah. So thinking about it retro, you know, retroactively here, if only Leia had seen him and spoke to him, right? And then only Kylo Ren. Okay, I, I track that he's doing this whole Jedi thing. But they that really, that was good. That threw me for a loop. Yeah. And that's, that that's something. One of the things that I caught, though, is because one of my favorite parts is the sand moving. 
Yeah. And like when I saw that, I'm like, oh, he's not this. Like that hit me. So because visually it is stunning. Right, because there's no red powder when he moves around. Oh. Yeah, they they do a couple of really subtle things. Which like okay, I I remember catching that in the movies, and I hit my friend, and he didn't catch it, and I like couldn't say anything. And so that's that's why when you say that you didn't care so much for Ryan Johnson's film, I struggle because that scene was super well done. I loved the cinematic use of uh, of silence. Oh, that was in that was in the that was in yeah the oh, that was Ryan yeah. Johnson's film. Maybe I did like Ryan Johnson. <laughs> All right. The uh, the cinematic use of silence uh, when the ship gets like split into pieces was also in Ryan Johnson's movie. And I loved that. That was so impactful to people Mm -hmm. that movie theaters all over the world had to hang up signs that said, the movie isn't broken. There are a couple of scenes of silence and it's going to be a little disorienting. Uh, There's a couple of seconds of silence that we promise. It's not that the projector is broken. And the, like, I, I think it impacted me a little more because the first time I saw the movie, I sat in a room full of fans who were cheering and screaming and just like every part they were super excited about. And then that scene happened and I like, it was just the most quiet room you could possibly imagine as everyone's jaws just drop as this happens. So like I deeply appreciate the the things from a cinematic perspective that Ryan Johnson put into that movie, um, including his own personal uh, thing that he does. Have Have you seen Knives Out? No, I, I know the premise, but I have not. Okay, so Knives Out is another really great example of this. That if I hope you get to watch it because it's very good. Ryan Johnson uh, has a thing in a lot of his movies. Um, Looper is another one where at the very beginning of the movie, he tells you exactly what's going to happen in one line um, and, then, and then delivers it at the very end. Uh, it, it's a it's a thing that he does in a lot of his movies. He really likes it, and, and I deeply appreciate it because when you catch it, you're like, oh shit, that was actually super clever. Wait. So, what's the what's the, how, how does it appear in this? So the the line in the beginning of the of this movie is um, is Kylo Ren's uh, "Let the past die, kill it if you must." Mm. Uh, and the whole point is leading up to everything that everything that's happened before has to die in order for the next thing to to happen. And so that's why Snoke dies. That's why Luke dies. That's why Leia dies. It's, or we, yeah. we knew that Leo, like, you know, all of that stuff happens as a way of, of him saying, you know, in the, in the very beginning, it is, you know, the, the stuff that from before has to die in order for us to appreciate the, the next set of things. Huh. I do like that. Maybe Mr. Johnson, I apologize. Maybe I am more <laughs> your films than I originally thought. Um, so a couple, so a couple, three things here. Um, things I did not like. One is the Chewbacca, Chewbacca dead misdirection. That that, that just felt sucks. stupid. It was like, so bad. The ship took off from right where the ship was. Like it's right. It's not like there were two ships and she happened to get one. I was like, oh, I hope Chewbacca wasn't on that one. Like no, right. okay, that was stupid. Uh, Snoke felt un, just felt. You, I did not. I that felt dumb to me. I get that you're trying to recreate the Vader Palpatine thing because he's the next Vader and then Snoke is the next. I get that, but like at one point he's this massive Oz projection. I, it didn't make any sense to me. That was dumb. I did really like, although I didn't at first, but it grew on me throughout the, this, the sequel trilogy was the, the, the mind meld connection between Ray and Kylo Ren. That was super well done. And it, that's actually the one thing that I really like about rise of Skywalker is that it grew to a point where they could actually send things to one another via the forest. The, the lightsaber transmission thing that was super well done. Yeah, so good. And like it, like 
And the other thing that I think is really cool about it is there's almost like a bit of a red herring in there in which when, when um, at two different points, I guess, when he pulls her necklace and is able to figure out where she is because of that, you're like, oh, this is like what they were building towards. This is the payoff for that. Right. Or when she's on his ship and he gets the, the messed up Vader helmet, that's the payoff. And it's like, well, no, there's still a whole nother thing coming. Right. That was really well done. I liked that. That was super good. I uh, I also really appreciated the the cool thing about Rise of Skywalker is that while I didn't appreciate the plot, it was so pretty. The mm-hmm. whole like uh, um, you know, deep space tripping where where he's like you know jumping from one spot to another in the in the Falcon, like it was super cool uh, to see all of that. And visually, the both the the last two films were just so cool. I, I don't I don't know if you uh, cared enough to see. Um, one of my favorite, you know, set of like memes that came from the second film in this set, their fight scene uh, after Snoke dies. And so they're surrounded by the Praetorian Guard, all the red guys. Yep. Um, there was a that that scene got redone with like 150 different songs and found out that just all of them worked really well. <laughs> including uh, like a couple of Britney Spears songs and like some, some like really random poppy things. And it's like when the movie first came out, there was a ton of them that came across like Twitter and Instagram and it never didn't entertain me. Like every time they just, so many things worked really well with that fight scene and it was very amusing. So I'm just playing popcorn here with my thoughts. I apologize. But so one of the questions we got from, from, Lovely, lovely friend of the pod, Sarah Jones Dittmeyer, host of her own podcast, First Year's Pod. Again, I'm not a fan of plugging other podcasts here, but what the hell, we'll do it. Um, Sarah asked what I thought about, is it BB-8 and Poe Dameron? So I get get that Finn had to put on Poe's jacket to earn the trust of BB-8, and I I get the the plot mechanism there. But to have Poe be either dead or just gone right he's not in that that thing when that when it crashes you're like okay well he's gone and all of a sudden just to have him perfectly fl- fine flying one of the fighter jets that that was really what i did not that did not connect for me okay there's a lot of stuff about finn's character or poe's character that uh that people struggle with uh there's in in the second movie um there are a lot of people who take his side uh, with the whole taking the ship hostage and and trying to figure stuff out, there are people who didn't like uh, the the woman who took charge because they they never Dern. seen her before. Right. Yeah, well, Laura Dern uh, was just amazing in all of that. But um, also, really funny side uh, note from the uh, director's cut of that: um, every single time she has a blaster in her hand and is supposed to squeeze it, if you look at her mouth, she is saying the word "pew." And she couldn't help herself. She did it every single time. They even stopped t- filming and went to her and said, we need you to stop doing this. And she couldn't do it. Every single time she was supposed to be firing, she, she's pew, pew, pew as she's, as she's doing it. So and if you watch that scene again, uh, when she walks in with the blaster, she, if you look at her face, she does it every time. And it is adorable. I like that. I like that. The last thing I'd seen her in was Pretty Women. No, that's not right. That's a whole different movie. Little Women. That's all. I went to go see Little Women by myself and ended up crying hysterically at a movie I thought I was just going to mildly disenjoy at best. Um, so that was interesting. Um, hmm. What else? So, BB, so Sarah asked about BB-8. Cute little thing. 
I liked it because I watch a lot of Conan and Conan visited Lucasfilm way back in the day, back when you first got started at TBS. And I saw that then. So that was like cool for me. Um, yeah. I love BB-8, but I have a weird personal attachment to BB-8, so it's unfair. What is your weird personal attachment to BB-8? The company that came up with the idea, uh, that pitched the idea to Bob Iger, who then went to to the Star Wars team and said, I'd like you to incorporate this. They're, the people who do that are friends of mine. Um, it's a company based out of Washington called Sphero, and they actually were the ones who made the prototype uh, and then the giant version that gets used on set. Um, but the uh, the little version that you could buy when the movies first came out actually uh, paired to your phone and had a feature that would watch the movies with you. So you could set the robot up and then set it to listening mode. And it would like chirp and bounce around and do stuff in sync with all of the movies. Uh, so like when Vader comes out on stage, uh, comes out on scene or something, it would like shudder and, and do stuff. And it was it was very, very cute. And I bought way too many of them for my friends that year. So, Danny, on you to figure out that Instagram handle and tag them. We're big fans of Sphero here at the pod. <laughs> um, one other thing I will say, again, I'm playing popcorn here. I, and maybe this is because I was so into Thrones, so I had a higher level of awareness that she was in the films. And I get that she wears a helmet the whole time, so it's hard to, again, kind of like James Earl Jones as Vader. But, like, Gwendolyn Christie did not get enough screen time for me. Not at all. She was robbed. Yeah, because like she has that phenomenal, like steely cold voice and can convey so much emotion with that face of hers. Yep. You don't get that. Nope, you don't get any of it. And even the story of her character, like they set her up when the first movie came out. They released a whole bunch of details about all the characters at the one of the D20 expos. And they set her up and her armor, they were like, well, why is her armor shiny? And they said her armor is shiny because uh, she, uh, as an award for her increase in rank, she was able to choose whatever she wanted for uh, for her armor. And she chose a, uh, a, a Corellian ship that she gunned down uh, with, like, basically with her own bare hands and used the armor from that ship to plate her own armor, which is why it's stronger than an average stormtrooper's armor. But, like, that doesn't play in at all with what we know about the first no. or anything like nope. that individual individuality and that's not it's really something they're big super on. weird they set um, her up to be this ridiculous badass leader and then did nothing with her basically she plays javert to finn's valjean but like she doesn't get any of the fun times where russell crowe got to mediocrely sing and so like that's frustrating right. um okay what else what other danny what other random thoughts do i have <laughs> danny reach into my brain <laughs> she knows my brain better I than i do Dio. Dio, Dio is adorable. The little wheel robot from the last movie. Oh, goes, no, thank you. When you reach out, they trump. They they gave you a droid that was traumatized. Uh, like oh, someone hurt this this poor thing. So that when you reach out to it, it goes no, thank you. I loved it. Yeah, that was cute. Um, what else? I feel like Babu it, Frick was also super cute. That's the little. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's Moaning Myrtle. Look, Harry mean? Potter reference. It's Moaning Myrtle. What do you mean it's Moaning Myrtle? That's the same actor. Yeah, it's the voice actor. She does the voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame that no one on this podcast could see Steven's face right now because no. it is great. <laughs> wait, so what other... Wait, so let, let, let's talk about it then. Wait, no, let me... Let, let's wrap up here with some general thoughts on Star Wars and then we can transition into a brief commentary on Potterland. Paula, our good friend at 
what seems like now at least seven different handles, but I'll call out Little London Boutique. Uh, go check out Little London Boutique for all your hair and bow needs or face mask needs in, the, in this day and age. Um, Paul asked, generally speaking, did I enjoy it? Um, which I know we already touched on a little bit here, but seeing as she asked the question, I want to graciously shout her out for, for participating. I did enjoy it. Um, and yeah, I, I think I agree that the plot in the sequel kind of deteriorates with each progressive movie, but like from a visual standpoint, love it. Um, I do love, and this is how I'm tied into Potter a little bit. I do love, although I get that's a little corny when Poe and Finn like general general, that was funny, but like though it's like, Oh, Hey, we're all in this. Like we're all in this together. Like <laughs> that was like a little corny for me, but at the same time it harkened back to like the original, mm-hmm. like to the original star Wars. It's like, Hey, like, and talking about Potter, like it's not about any one person, right? It's about this collective and the heart and the soul of the collective overpowering the 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 stoic, cold individuality of of the antagonist. So I, I liked that. I'm very sad that the last three movies had very little in common. We got to the end of the second the second movie in this series, and there were a couple of things that were really cool setups, like the fact that the the kid at the end who ends up being force sensitive and grabs the broom with uh, with Jedi powers and goes to sweep things. Like the whole setup there at the end was, you know, we are the spark that lights the fire that you know that that you know engages the rebellion. The whole point there was we can engage all of these people to to become rebels, and they can and they can then become more. And then J.J. Abrams was like, cool, but what if we didn't do anything at all with that notion? And that made me very sad. Yeah. Okay, fair. Fair. Um, one of the things I was thinking about a lot as I was watching these was the, was the premise of the antagonist in Star Wars versus the premise of the antagonist in Harry Potter. Um, because to me, at least the, but I mean, I think it's true probably for both the first order and for the empire is that the, the antagonist is really just someone who wants to consolidate power for consolidation sake. Like Palpatine to me, and maybe I just missed this entirely, which is very conceivable. Like, it's not like Palpatine has a larger mission other than consolidating power. So he can be the ultimate one. Right. right, like destruction of the Jedi, yeah, it's the Sith. But generally speaking, it, whereas Harry Potter to to me feels a lot more. Well, it's not just that there's this antagonist wants to consolidate power. He wants to actively eliminate every single person who doesn't agree with his limited worldview. Um, and if they felt like very different antagonists to me, um, which I guess probably stems from when they were composed, right? Like Star Wars is coming out of Vietnam and coming out of a country in turmoil. Right. And like this message of love and hope and shared optimism didn't need like a super dark foil. Right. Like the emperor is dark, but it's not like dark in like a sadistic way. Like he's not out there saying, hey, kill all the tattooings and kill the bad guy in Star Wars is I will bend you to my will. And and in Potter is you're different from me, so I will kill you. Yeah. Right. Um so I, I found that interesting. Danny, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that because I didn't prep you with that thought whatsoever before you recorded, but you will have you you will have compelling thoughts. No compelling, compelling thoughts. thoughts will you have? Processor. I'm sorry, I'm done. 
I'm surprised it took this long for you to do a Yoda. Look, back during the middle of the day, like on Saturday when I was watching these things, when my voice was actually pretty not hoarse and everything, I was rocking Jar Jar Bings, Yoda. Uh, I could do a de- half-decent Chewbacca, uh, but now it's all kind of, it's nighttime. You know, you have a, you have a phone. Uh, when the when the mood strikes, like you know, grab all a right. message. All right, fair, fair. Um, Instagram live. <laughs> well, those are my thoughts on the War of Stars. Um, I am I think- gonna go. I am gonna go watch Rogue One. Although I have seen that one before. That was the only Star Wars movie I had ever seen prior to this watch. Um, I'm gonna watch the other one off they did. I forget what it was called. Solo. So you know how you know how you didn't like a ballad of songbirds and snakes because it just gave you a bunch of backstory stuff that you didn't really care about. Oh no! That's the entirety of of Solo. It gives you all of the stuff about. Well, the only difference is that you actually like Han Solo, uh, but it's it's a whole bunch of like here's how Solo got his smuggler's dice, and here's why Solo has the blaster that he has, and here's why Lando Calrissian has 9,000 capes, which is the only detail of that movie I don't hate because Lando Calrissian was the best part of that movie. I do love Billy D coming back in to the, to the sequel because Billy D is just a fun character. Oh, he, and it was clear that he was just having, he was there to have fun. He was on set that day to have a good time. And I loved every minute of it. Um, I was also just reminded that uh, there's another Potter tie in uh, to the, the Star Wars movies um the actor who plays professor flitwick uh was oh yeah warwick yeah yep. warwick warwick's in it don hall gleason yep and, oh yeah uh, he, he plays the okay so he that was stupid i'm sorry that <laughs> was really stupid when he's just like i need to beat kylo red and right. that's why he's the traitor no 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 i very much enjoyed how hard he worked to just be a genuinely hated character. Yeah. There is like, he did like, it's, it's one of those things like he, he worked so hard to be not even necessarily a bad guy, just an asshole. And, and it just worked really well. He did a very good job. I always liked him, not his character, but I like Donald Gleason in general. Like I love him. He's just a good actor. He's just great. Who played Han Solo? Who plays Han Solo in this one? I have to watch yet. Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. While I look that up, have you played the Mandalorian or watched the Mandalorian? I have not. That was my next question. Clone Wars, Mandalorian, and these two uh, solo movies—not solo, but standalone movies—are on my list. So here's the thing about Clone Wars: it's going to take a really long time for you to watch it, and you're not going to care nearly as much about the things that other Star Wars fans who are suggesting you watch Clone Wars are going to think you care about. The whole point is to kind of tie all of these things in together and, uh, and, and make people who care about continuity between these movies really happy. Um, it is a good animated series. Uh, and, and if you have time, it is worth a watch, but it is, you're going to get a lot of people who very heavily recommend it that you're just, you're not going to feel nearly as strongly by the end of it as they have. So um, really- the uh, solo actor, by the way, is Alan... Uh, I can't pronounce his last name. Aaron Reich. All right, no one I know. Yeah, and see, with Clone Wars, the animation style is not like my jive, so I struggled with it. So I haven't yeah. even finished it yet. It's, it's rough. I don't I like that you, style of animation. You will definitely like The Mandalorian because it is very much done in the, like, let's do a Western in space. 
Okay. Um, and it's it's just really well done. But uh, it's very well. I done. I think the only reason, not the only, but the primary reason I'm very excited for Clone Wars is because Donald Faison, who Danny, when you're searching later, is Donald underscore Azon. That's Faison without the F. Uh, who is Turk from Scrubs, who's in Clueless, who's in Remember the Titans, and who's one of the funniest, most incredible actors I out there. this week. Um, you watched Remember the Titans this week? Yeah, we watched it over the weekend, Saturday. Not a movie I would anticipate you watching. It's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're all learning. We also watched Hidden Figures. Hidden um, Figures is good. Anywho, Donald loves Star Wars. Like, huge Star Wars geek and he is a huge fan of Clone Wars so he has yeah. talked about it enough on the podcast he does with Zach Braff fake doctors real friends so I'm excited to watch it accordingly it's it's fun I think you will enjoy it I just you will not be nearly as excited about it as hardcore Star Wars fans are um fair enough yeah I agree are they doing any but more movies there's yes. a rumor going around Disney. Understand that, like Disney, will beat this horse until it's gone. Oh like, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to. That's that's. So, I think the Mandalorian is completely worth it. I also yeah. think you could watch the Mandalorian and not give a care about Star Wars and still really <laughs> enjoy the yep. Mandalorian. That's what I've heard. Ironically enough, from Zach Braff of Fake Doctor's Real Friend, JD from Scrubs. So it all ties back to Scrubs in my life. That's really the the moral here. Since I've never heard you talk about Scrubs before, just one quick thing: the very last season. That's where, not real. Season nine. Oh, season okay. nine doesn't count. All right, that's that's where I'm. No. That's all I needed to know. No, season nine doesn't count. No, season eight when JD walks out of the hospital and they play the montage and he and Elliot are kissing in the wedding and you know, that. Yeah. That's when the show ended. Yeah. Got it. I have one more question that was submitted. Who submitted it? And I'm going to. I'm going to ask you it because it's from Jordan, who did all of our music, and I wanted to add another shout-out. Love, Jordan. Our at Specs and Things can be found on the ground, taking commissions. He asked, what was your favorite scene or sequence, and why was it Yoda training Luke on Dagobah? Now, Jordan is a huge Star Wars fan. I am going to forefront with that. I didn't love... Again, Mark Hamill just... Huh. I didn't love that whole thing. Um, But we love Jordan and the music he made for us. We love it. But look, we paid him for the music not to give opinions on Star Wars, so I can disagree (laughs) with his Star Wars opinion. (laughs) Um, Favorite? I think generally speaking, what I enjoyed, which is kind of like picking, you know, picking salvage out of the wreckage here, was I enjoyed a lot of the backstory we get of Obi-Wan and his closeness with Anakin and Padme or whatever. Because of, like, if you watch the first, like if you watch in the order I did, four, five, six, one, two, three, right? The sense you get is that Obi-Wan Kenobi and who young Darth Vader, so you don't know the Anakin at the time, but you know, young Vader, um, we're just like two contemporaries, right? And like they kind of went their separate ways. I appreciate getting the closeness of them and understanding how that relationship really frayed. Um, that was, I, 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 I valued that. It was, yeah, it was good. And that's something that throughout all of the movies, they do a really good job 
picking characters and be like, these are friends now. And like the interactions between them ends up being really good. Um, again, also here for Carrie Fisher in leather bikini, didn't know it was the slave thing. So my bad. Um, but that was fun and everything Harrison Ford again in the first movie, it's a little bit too much, but the rest of them all, all about it. I love, especially as he really gives no fucks when he's in the sequel movies and the key and Chewie are talking and he like has just no emotion. He's kind of just like, I told you. The best part is the scene where they're like, where he's like, okay, so we just have to bypass the thing and go in and, and blow it up. And they're just like, well, there's a shield. And he goes, you turn those off. Yeah. yeah. You just <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> it was so great. He's like, guys, we've done all of this already. You just, you just go turn off the thing and blow up the other thing. How hard could it be? Oh, yeah, they also didn't really explain the whole divorce like it's kind of a thing you accept and like you're left to imagine and like, okay, fair enough. I I, I don't, you know, you I think space up. marriage just works different. <laughs> we got space marriage works different. Space wizards work different. Like you put space in front of it. The, the rules are a little different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, one thing I didn't like another thing I didn't like, I keep it. I love Carrie Russell. One of my favorite actresses, but her voice is so distinct that it took me out of the movie when she, <laughs> when she's, when she makes her cameos. Uh, that was, I, that it couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. The new ones had a lot of cameos too. Yes. Jason Gordon-Lovett was in it. Uh, what? the, the stormtrooper who Ray, uh, they hid them very well. Yeah, they they hit a lot of them really well. Lin Manuel Miranda is uh, is in the one of the very last scenes of uh, the last. He did the music for the yeah. He did the music for the one scene because yep. we know then, Hamilton comes out this week on Disney Plus. Right. I've been singing that all week now. Um, James Bond, the our current James Bond, Daniel Craig. Um, Daniel Craig yeah. is the stormtrooper that Ray uh, mentally overpowers in the first movie. You would think, given how much he hates the franchise he's involved in, he wouldn't want to get involved in another mega he, franchise. They, he didn't show his face. He mm-hmm. he like they they let him put a helmet on and stand there and say two lines and walk away. But uh, yeah, Daniel Craig is in that. Um, yeah, just a, a huge the the really gross guy in the in the first movie who's like you can have this thing for one quarter portion. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, Simon Pegg. Oh. Uh, yeah, just a ton of cameos throughout all of that. I would like it to put it out to our listeners. What should Stephen watch, read, listen, any of the above next? Yeah, look, I'm down. I am at my parents' house conceivably for the next six months. Uh, so once I get done with the worky work and even maybe during some of the worky work hours, I'm, you know, summer Fridays, whatever, um, I've got time to engage in a whole other fandom. So uh, hit us up with any suggestions. I would like to throw Lord of the Rings out there. I don't oh, beat know. Me, beat me to it. But see, but see, the thing is, I'm going to want to read before I watch. That can be two different podcast episodes. Yeah, just that. The reading is a huge, and I love to read. I'm not saying oh, reading disdainfully, but like that's a big commitment. Whereas, like, I could watch these Star Wars movies on like Saturday night at two a.m. You know, like just do the audiobooks. I. I, that, Not an audiobook yeah. guy, huh? I right. love podcasts. I can't do audiobooks. Interesting. Unrelated to this, Danny, did you watch the the Fellowship Reunited thing on YouTube? 
I haven't yet. I have it saved to watch it. Oh, didn't who? Oh, who hosted that? And I'm okay Josh if Steven just yeah. does Lord of the Rings movies. No, but Danny, but I I can't do that because that's not me. That's not in, you know intrinsic to um, who I am. You the books I would like you to read and Katie I don't I make I'm assuming she has read these is the Divergent series is what yeah. I want you Divergent's pretty good too I think Stephen would really like the Divergent series and that's the book series I would like him to read and I love you to mind. I don't think he cares no, he's just ignoring me oceans rise empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. The best part of all of the trailers they've dropped for Hamilton has been Groff Sauce doing the welcome to Hamilton. That that's the best part. Gives me chills. Um, it's gonna be a gonna be a fun Thursday at three o'clock in the morning. I got to see Javier as Hamilton. I never got to see the original cast. I got to see James Monroe Heigelhart as Marquis Lafayette Jefferson, which was outstanding. That makes the third show I've seen him in now. He's phenomenal. Anywho, that's all to say I'm hyped for that. And I don't know if that's meriting of recording a podcast about, but if anyone wants to talk to me about Hamilton, my DMs are always open. Or if you're a single witch or a witch looking to make a change in your dating status, uh, my DMs are also open for that. Had to slide it in there just one time. That's what she said. Just one. I'm really glad I'm here. We're really glad you're here. <laughs> I'm enjoying. So for the listeners that didn't know, Katie's just here listening and her facial expressions have been so great. <laughs> well, I will also say for the listeners, um, although we maintain our aggressive content calendar of one episode per week, uh, we've banked enough over the past couple months where we haven't recorded for the past probably two or three weeks now because Danny is in the midst of moving across the country. Um, so I haven't had a chance to talk with Danny in depth that much recently. So it's just nice to see your face again. In I'm in Bryan, Texas. Um, that is a statement, an observation. Danny is in Bryan, Texas. Um, but no, this was lovely. It was lovely seeing y'all's faces, Russell and Katie. Um, I am glad that you are back from your mountain retreat or whatever the hell it was you guys were doing up in the woods. Oh, it was awesome. I took pictures of stars. Podcast over? Um, I was about to do the Yoda. Podcast over.